0: Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 750th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. And today on our podcast, we are rebroadcasting our fourth Saturday of the month show on Rosie on the House in Phoenix, Arizona. Enjoy. Welcome to the broadcast every arizona homeowner's best friend thanks for tuning in it's rosie
1: on the house your weekend wake up tradition come on around back arizona saturday morning eight o'clock the outdoor living hour your saturday morning tradition here Since 1988, if you're following along in our homeowner handbook, we're talking, of course, with Farmer Greg in the Urban Farm, and he's got a great program lined out on Plan Your Water, and you've brought in a guest.
0: Yeah, we've got Don Titmus, a longtime friend of mine and rainwater harvester here in the Valley, and he is a master rainwater harvester, so we get to hear from him today.
1: Thanks for coming in this saturday morning
0: you're welcome thank you so
1: tell me about being a master rainwater harvester oh, i don't know all, if i want
2: to go that far all
1: five or six drops that you get on your property <laughs> I'm, I'm
2: a master of my own property yes and i help other people get to that point but it does take a while i've been doing it for decades and yes it's a evolutionary kind of thing you make changes you observe you adapt you modify and then you make changes and you keep doing that until you're satisfied that you're going to capture as much rain as you can on your property without it leaving your property.
1: I joke to catching all five drops a year, but this year we've actually been a great rain year. How did your systems hold up in this last?
2: Uh, amazing. Yeah, the, this winter was exceptional. Our wildflowers are there as proof to how much extra water we got this winter and spring. But now we're in the dry season again, and we're bone dry, and we're drying out real super
1: quick. Now, I don't know if Farmer Greg was just pulling my leg or setting me up for something. <laughs> but ahead of the broadcast, <laughs> <up for something. laughs> he said, I'm bringing in a guest that makes water flow uphill.
2: Ah, yeah, that was a news reporter from Mesa, the Mesa Tribune back about 20 years ago. She brought her high school students in for a tour and with a focus on rainwater and I was explaining my passive rainwater harvesting system in my backyard where I did not want to change the grade. So, you know, houses, they generally slope from the house out toward the alley and out toward the street. But I don't have an alley. I I have a fence in the back that we both own. And so my whole property lot flows from my back fence to the street. So you have to intercept the water to slow it down, spread it, sink it, and then you cover it and you get it into the ground where it's going to do the most, va- most good. So my challenge was I was getting too much water in my backyard. It was coming up on my back patio, and it was within three feet of my patio door. So the problem is the solution. I needed to intercept and put the water in the ground before it got to my concrete patio. did that by digging an 8-inch deep, 4-inch wide trench, Eight inches deep, four inches wide. I got that flexible perforated black pipe, a four inch pipe. I put that in the bottom, put a silk cloth around it to keep it from filling up with silt. And then I put rock on top. So that was an interceptor. So the water was flowing down here from the back fence. I intercepted it into that modified French drain, you would know it more of as a French drain. If you're from back east, you put French drains in to take water away from your property. We're trying to put it in the ground here, and then now the transfer pipes to take it back toward the fence is sloping down underground. Hence, from the back the, patio. From the back patio. Hence the term I make water go uphill.
1: Very interesting.
2: So I engineer I go
1: uphill underground.
2: <laughs> I'm going, yes, in effect,
1: yes. So That's pretty cool. And you've got quite a literature that you've traveled with here.
2: I'm bringing books from different people. We're going to talk about grey water, so I brought a couple of books. I brought a book that's low-tech, low-cost techniques, and the Bible is... The Rainwater Harvesting for Drylands and Beyond, Brad Lancaster. I'm standing on the shoulders of all those that came before me, and Brad is one of those. Thank you, Brad. He, too, is standing on the shoulders before him, and that's succession. That's how we do stink. We take it, and we run with it, and we work with it, and we honor it.
1: Very good. A pleasure to have you in and looking forward to diving into all of this. And it's not just rainwater harvesting that we're talking. You mentioned gray water stormwater there's greg's list here has a number of different water sources where do we get started with all this what's the simplest place to start for someone listening
0: i think the simplest place and the question that i get a lot is why bother harvesting rainwater because we don't get a whole lot of rainwater in the desert don yeah i get it all the time Yeah, why why bother?
1: And I think the perfect argument is that, isn't that the reason to harvest rain?
0: Absolutely. Because
1: there's so little of it, we've got to utilize every single stinking drop we can get.
2: (laughs) Back to that saying in permaculture is the problem is the solution. We don't have enough water, so we keep everything we've got because it's gold for our earth. It's just nothing works without water. We can't plant. We can't make our food. We can't make our clothing. We can't do anything without water. Water is just intrinsically necessary.
0: And the simplest, going back to your question, Romy, the simplest thing to do is figure out how to slow it down and sink it in on your property. And what's the best way to, the easiest way to do that, Don?
2: Actually, the easiest way for me to harvest water is my, or my term is my bucket brigade. So in in my back garden, where it's not visible from the street out front, neighbours don't know, unless they've been on my tour, a portion of my back roof harvesting strategy is just to put a line of buckets under the drip line so every time it rains, if I get a one-inch rain, I've got a full five-gallon bucket of rainwater. Now, that's the first thing to go out to my trees, to anywhere that needs extra water, and to wash away the salts that accumulate from our tap water. Tap water is not the best water for plants. It is dead water. It's been highly processed. Think about highly processed food compared to highly nutrient-dense food. There's no comparison. It's, it's just so far apart that it's unbelievable.
1: And so much of it as well comes from our Salt River Project <laughs> systems, our Colorado Water Systems, as AP right. brings in. It's traveling thousands of miles to the river, but there's a lot of room to pick up silt and dry and bring it with us and flow down. So it's naturally carrying a lot of minerals with it as well, or hard deposits.
2: Absolutely. That is a big, especially out where salt, SRP delivers water. That's coming out of the canyons, and there's a lot of hard water coming out of there. Yeah. I agree.
1: And the municipalities don't treat water for that. They treat it for safety of drinking and pass it along. I think – I I, I don't even want to know what it would cost if they ran all the water through a a water treatment system, a soft water system, and a a distilled system. It would be pretty expensive water.
2: So first thing, chlorine. Great. It kills all the bacteria. Bad for the soil.
0: Yeah. Big time. And that's why I always encourage people to remove the chlorine (laughs) – if you were using it to water your garden for sure. And so once that water hits our property, the one of the big places that people go is I got to store that water, put it in tanks. And the most expensive thing you can be doing is building tanks. And one of the things that I did at the Urban Farm and one of the things that I'm doing here in North Carolina is I direct the water into basins that are full of woody mulch. And you do a lot of that on your property, don't you, Don? Absolutely. Yeah, that's the cover it part. So it's slow it, spread
2: it, sink it, cover it. It's the covering that's essential in arid climates because that reduces the evaporation effect. So every time it rains, we want to keep the maximum amount of water we can in the ground because it's when it's in the ground, which is our earth tank, then it's available to all the plant life all around the whole area
1: we're not sinking the water into the ground to ever reuse it in liquid form. We're just taking a rain and instead of letting all that water run off and down the street or down the alley in the gutterway, we're retaining on the property so that the plant's watering cycle, it extends how long that plant is drinking from that water source. Yes,
2: greater resilience, greater sustainability Um, on its ability. to When we run tap water, we're literally running it on an IV system like you're in the ER, a hospital. You us get that line in them. Let's get that let's get that fluid in them. That's the drip system. And it's not the best system in the world because, it's the, again, the tap water is already dead. So we want more alive water than we want dead water. We want to keep that water on the ground in an intelligent way, We don't want the house to flood. We want to keep keep the water in the basins that that Greg referred to. And I'm talking a shallow basin. It doesn't need to be any more than, say, two to three inches. Because when we have a rain, we have uh, typically inch rains or sometimes a two-inch rain. We want to capture and keep as much of that as we can without it running off. And once it gets into that basin, it's going to be contained there it's a container and it's going to slowly get down into the soil and it takes a while because our desert soils can really compact from the heat and the sun so the first few monsoons rains they just flow right off but if you put it in the ground then it's more available it's more it soaks in quicker
1: it's the fourth Saturday of the month, so here at the Outdoor <coughs> Living Hour of Rosie on the House, we're with farmer Greg of the Urban Farm, and we've got Don Titmus. and you've named your property as a recommendation from Greg.
2: Yeah, yeah. Back in the day, when Greg and I were getting things going with the Phoenix Permaculture Guild, it was one of those things. It's name your property, name your urban farm, and my place became the B Oasis.
1: And I'll let you talk about why the B Oasis, but of all things we can do here at Rosie on the House, we can't stop the clock. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Rosie on the house here in the Urban Farm. And our guest in today with Farmer Greg is Don Titmus of the Bee Oasis. Is that like to be an oasis, buzzing bee oasis? All
2: of the above. So, yes, I wanted to – I started out in my learning, my classes and different things. I had ended up going to Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is where I took my permaculture design course there. And then later, I went back, a year later, I went back, and there's a fellow by the name of Les Crowder, and he has the top bar hive system, which is completely the opposite from the Langstroth commercial hives, yeah. So they're vertical systems, whereas the top bar hive is a horizontal system. So I started doing that because I took the classes on that, which is a much more natural way of managing bees. After a while, we couldn't be in the same town together. This this (laughs) town ain't big enough for the both of us because I wanted to mix my compost pile, which was 10 feet away from my bee boxes. And so it just happened to be, that pun intended, that I had to move them rather than move me. My, my garden's always been an oasis. I have propolis, which is the sticky sap that they use to seal their hive. They need it completely sealed up, just like we do in our own houses. We like a sealed house. We don't we want, want the inv- rain to get in. We don't want the invaders to get in. They seal it up. And they need nectar, and they need pollen, and they need all these different things. So my home site has all those components for the bees that are wild. I have no managed bees, but I do put up bee blocks. Those bee blocks are for the solitary bee, the mason bee and the leaf rolling bee in particular. And they're the best pollinators in the world. So if you've got fruits and vegetables that need pollination, you need to bring in your solitary bees. You don't need a honey bee for pollination. You need a honey bee for honey.
1: Excellent. I love it. And we're going to have to probably, I'm thinking, schedule a time to talk <laughs> a whole hour just about bees. Yes. But I don't want to deter from today's schedule, especially if somebody's tuned no. in specifically to follow along on, on our talking points that we've published in our Homeowner Handbook on planning your water. Bees need water as well. Yes. And during the break, Farmer Greg had mentioned wanting to talk about the, we talked about mulch but right. the long-term benefits that does to the soil after seasons of the natural earth cycle.
0: Yeah, you ready, Greg? Yeah, absolutely. Let's jump in. So, woody mulch is amazing. Over the course of the 32 years that I lived at the urban farm, I for the first part of that time I used to add woody mulch into my garden beds just to start them up. I wasn't growing food in them at that point, but what happens at the interface between the dirt And the woody mulch is it starts breaking down very quickly into really healthy soil. And so I really encourage people to use that free woody mulch. You get free from tree services. In fact, what I used to do at the urban farm is I would listen. And when I heard the tree grinders going on in my neighborhood, I'd go searching for them. And I would have them drop that woody mulch in my front yard. And over time, it really holds on to the moisture. It makes the soil cooler in the summertime and warmer in the wintertime, and it builds healthy soil over time. I think you've done a lot of that at the Oasis, haven't you,
2: Don? I've done quite a bit. Not as much as you have done. I like my open spaces as well. So every permaculture urban farm is its own unique. Custom-built, custom-made, custom-designed space. Yes, each one of us designers have our own very unique spaces. Urban Farms different from Be Oasis. you got flood irrigation. I don't. you got more fruit trees than me. I've got more native plants than you. Yeah, we each have developed our own spaces to our own liking.
1: And you mentioned all these great things about the mulch, Greg. And I know... y'all's know you goal and your vision and everything you do in the permaculture side of things and the urban farming and the cultivating. But you missed out and left out one very important point about the mulch. It could be a very pretty top cover. It's aesthetic.
0: Yeah, and interestingly, so I was out in Peoria before I left Phoenix and I was driving down, I think Peoria Boulevard at 120th Avenue or something. And rather than using... Gravel in the medians, they had woody mulch. I literally, I'm getting chills as I shared this because they're finally getting smart about it. I pulled over and walked out into the median to see what was actually going on, and they had a good six inches of woody mulch in the median.
1: Endless benefits, and you can also sign up at chipdrop.com. We mention it frequently anytime the topic comes up where. You sign up and you just have to wait when an arborist team or company is in your neighborhood and they are taking down trees or cutting limbs and they mulch it all. These chippers that they haul behind these pickup trucks and dump trucks and they just it shoots all these chips right into them. That's an expense to them to go dump it at the landfill plus the time to take and yep. go and do it as well they can just come drop it at your yard they're happy to do that you just have to wait and get on their schedule great way to get free mulch at chipdrop.com. drop.com more with farmer greg of the urban farm and don titmus of the bee oasis here at rosie on the house Already halfway through the hour with Farmer Greg and Don Titmus. So, we wanted to jump into water sources that are available that aren't your tap water. So, you guys just take it and run from there.
0: Okay. All right, well, let's start with rainwater. Rainwater is any water that comes out of the sky and lands on your property. And our job is to direct that rainwater into the places in our yard where we want to use it. And then there's gray water. Why don't you tell us what gray water is, Don? Yes, gray
2: water, Greg, is the second use of tap water. So gray water would be like if you wash your clothes, you wash your hands, you take a bath, a shower, those kind of sources of water are the most logical place to start. They have the less icky bits in it and are used extensively in the garden without any detriment to the soil itself, especially if you're using biodegradable soaps and other things.
0: Yeah, and gray water is different from black water. Black water goes down your toilet and basically your kitchen sink. They call that black water. It needs to be treated differently. But it is legal in the state of Arizona to use the gray water from your house in your yard, and you can go to the Arizona Department of Environmental Quality, and they have 13 best practices on how to use your gray water, and it's legal. They, again, thanks to Brad Lancaster working with them, AZDEQ about 20 years ago. And Art Ludwig. And Art. Oh, so Art Ludwig runs Oasis Design out of Northern California, and here's a quick story. It's 1991 or 92. I'm in a bookstore in Seattle, and there is this photocopied book called, it's photocopied, called Creating an Oasis with gray Water.
1: I've got it right and here in my hands. Don brought in a copy. I'm skimming through it.
0: Yeah. And it is an absolutely brilliant book on <laughs> uh, how to use greywater. It's, yeah. So, there's a couple of ways to harvest the gray water out of your house. I'll talk about the first one, which is you have to plumb your house to get the water outside, and that can be challenging unless you're building a new house, then you build it into the new house. The other way is to move those facilities outside. Don? That's right. I've moved
2: me out. Yes. So, during the summer, when the water that's coming into your house is tepid, and it's just it's cool, and I want to. I'm working outside, and I want to be cooled down from being outside. Then my outdoor shower is the place that I go to June through September, and that's when the plants need the most water. So it's a beneficial relationship for me to wash myself outside and put the water on the plants that are right there in the outdoor shower.
1: And it was a lot easier than plumbing. A separate line from your shower inside Way out here. Yeah.
2: Because you have to, on passive flow on gray water harvesting from your sink, you've got some elevation, but your shower stall is really low, so you have to raise the shower stall up enough to get passive flow to get the water out of the house down into the ground and out to the landscape. So that's, there's laundry to the landscape, there's shower to the landscape, there's ways to move that water, but you got to be willing to open up your wall and put new piping in because you need to keep the water up higher longer to get the passive flow
1: and if you've ever had a shower outside in arizona it seems like what seriously but when you're out all day and you're working whether you know you're in construction or you're out doing just your own landscape Walking inside hot, sweaty, and dirty is not relaxing, even though it's cooler inside. Being able to hit that quick rinse off, you don't even hardly need hot water at that point. Maybe just a tiny little bit, if you like it, to get your hair clean, if you have any left. If you're lucky (laughs) enough to be one of those people. (laughs) But just being able to rinse off, clean off, and then go inside clean, you you feel like you can actually enjoy your couch your lazy boy whatever the case may be and all of that dirt and dust and you you got your own laundry bin out there clothes in there being able to start fresh going inside and it keeps the inside cleaner
2: absolutely perfect yeah
1: yeah every home should have some outdoor type of shower in my opinion in arizona maybe maybe you could argue flagstaff maybe not at least in the depth.
0: One of the things I did at the urban farm before years ago, probably back in 2004, I installed an outdoor shower. It had both hot and cold water, but I lifted it. So I actually lifted it about 18 inches. So you stepped up into it and that gained my slope to get the water to run to the yard. I was there. Yeah, he was. Were
1: were you Tom Sawyer by Farmer Greg? And who did most of this physical work when this was happening?
2: Oh, we all did. (laughs) And there was Eric and there was this person and that person. There's so many other people involved in the process. This is why we created the guild so that we could get these little tasks done because no one person can do all the heavy lifting and things. So we created perma-parties.
0: Well, one of the other things that we did, which is, this is really important, and I really encourage people, if you have an edible landscape, if you're doing rainwater harvesting, open up your property and do tours yeah. and do classes. So when I was at the urban farm, we used to do tours periodically. I know Don does tours periodically of the yes. Bio Oasis. And for the outdoor shower and outdoor rainwater harvesting systems that we put up, we actually did hands-on classes. Yeah. For people to come and experience this real time.
1: And there's plenty of resources out there for people to go to. You can go to Urban Farms website. You, Don, you've got a website as well. That, and just going there, signing up for the newsletters or following on social, you'll get notification of when these different oh, events yeah. happen. And sometimes there's a little charge to them for everyone's time, sometimes there's not. It's just. It, it can vary.
2: We charge the maximum amount of money that is realistic for our clientele. Uh, and so like, and uh, often
0: we offer them on a donation basis. Don't, that's what I was going to say. A lot of them is donation. Yeah. That's, that's gray water. That's rainwater. Yes. Then there's stormwater. Storm again, here's Brad back in on the scene. <laughs> Brad did something about 10, 12 years ago that was partially legal. Mm -hmm. I think he has a different term for it. He actually cut the curbs out in front of his house and created roadside basins so that when the water ran by his house in the gutter on the street, it filled up the basin and then kept going on. And that's stormwater. What do you know about stormwater, Don? I don't know a lot because I don't get a lot in my little
2: cul-de-sac that I live in, but I've seen that water just stream past Brad's place in some of his videos and bits and pieces in there, and it's amazing. You know, he came up, He first of all, he did a double cut, and so water went in the top end and then came out on the bottom end, but it didn't really fill up the basin. So then he blocked up the bottom one and only left the top one, so the water went in filled up the basin to the top and then flow back out and no more water was flowing back in. That's engineering. You don't want more than you can manage because otherwise yeah. the water is going to manage you.
1: And last uh, June, Greg had Brad Lancaster in the urban farm hour, his little urban farm piece of heaven in here t- in Arizona.
0: He's in Tucson Yep, and making a big difference down there. In fact, recently in 2022, they did a documentary on. It's called Arizona Illustrated Rainwater Harvesting on PBS down in Tucson. They did a documentary on the change that has happened since they've been doing the work down there, and in in the past 20 years. And it's mind blowing. If you get a chance to look that up. It is mind blowing what they've done down there. Brad's contention is that there's enough enough water that rains on the city of Tucson to supply all their water needs. And he's proving it.
1: That's pretty cool. Just imagine if that was accomplished, the number one water user of the CAP Canal is Tucson. So if that amount of water, if that was repurposed somewhere else because the city was using the natural rainwater. What could that do now? Don't tell developers that. (laughs) They'd scrape another 10 sections and start stacking houses that are, got not enough room to walk between the two.
0: (laughs) My parents owned a house in Prescott about 25 years ago. And one of the interesting things that the developer did is they ran all of the water off of all of the properties out into the streets. And they had culverts that were 10 feet tall that my mom told me that at times she would go out when it was raining and the culvert was full of water when in reality what they could have done is sunk that water on the properties and not have to put in all of that infrastructure and all that water destruction that happens when it rains because of that yeah
2: people don't understand that the water cycles it never stops it might slow down but the water cycle is perpetual and so if people are like there's communities around the nation that say okay you can't harvest water on your property because we own that right to that water for our city and that's what kind of stuff has been happening and so if you are holding it onto your property and filling that up then you're not Stopping the flow of the water, you're just slowing it down with a speed
0: bump. <laughs> <laughs> Love that.
1: Okay. All right, so that's rainwater, grain water, storm water, and then there's a category for others that we'll jump into in the final segment here at Rosie on the House with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm and Don Titmus of the B Oasis. And as always, there's never enough time here, especially with the talking points. Let's quickly go through these other sources of water.
0: Right. I really, Yeah, I really encourage people to pay attention. Observe what's going on on your property because there's other sources. When I lived at the urban farm, we had flood irrigation, so that's a magical thing. But one thing that people often don't think contributes a lot is condensation. What about that, Don? Yeah, the condensate from your air conditioner is prime water.
2: That is distilled water. You can bottle it up and save it for your battery or whatever you want to do with that distilled water. So that is a valuable source of water, and I have a separate tank to capture that. And it's a lot.
0: You You might be shocked at how much water comes out of that. Especially in August, yes.
1: So an air conditioner works by removing moisture from the air inside that has to go somewhere so there's these condensate line that takes that dripping water that the air conditioning is removing and pipes it out of your house so you just walk around your house look for a little plastic pipe coming somewhere out of the wall and it has
2: that little dip in it right
1: the little P-trap.
2: P-trap. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I call it a dip.
1: <laughs> a dip. <laughs> the, the, the dip. The plastic with the dip. And sometimes you won't even see the dip on the outside of the home. You'll just see a little plastic pipe coming ah, out. Okay. Now, in some cases, there could be a metal pipe coming up. That's not it. Condensate's always plastic. If you see the metal one, that's actually to the water heater. And that's a safety valve, and we won't get into the purpose of that. But never touch it Right. or stand clear. It's usually pointed with a elbow down 90 degree to the ground look for the plastic one coming straight out that's going to be a huge source of water in the summer months when the rains come in the monsoons move in the humidity in the desert goes way up yeah so the air conditionings are working overtime, getting the humidity out and all that water is just pouring like you said perfectly distilled the cleaner cleaner than you're getting probably from even the purest of bottled water manufacturer out there
0: perfect stuff and i would get sometimes up to three or four gallons a day. And for watering your garden, it's great. So another source would be OPW, other people's water.
2: (laughs) So the lot next door to you might be slightly higher than you, and then there might be some extra flow from the next door. And if he doesn't complain, he, she doesn't complain, then, you know, you can use that water to its highest value and grow more food.
1: And then... The last one that you had mentioned on here was evap coolers as well. That kind of goes back to the mechanical cooling equipment that we have in right. Arizona. And this system's a little bit different, but an evap cooler generally, especially if they have a self-cleaning feature, will create a little bit of excess water. That's what I
2: have. I have the piggyback evap cooler and AC system. My evap cooler has a the twenty-four hour purge in it. So once a day, it purges the reservoir tank in the bottom of the evap cooler. That goes straight into a hose, and the hose goes directly to my citrus tree. So completely passive on my side. I don't have to do anything. The system is already set up for it to go directly to that tree. It gets that extra water every day in the summer when it needs it more. And so it's a perfect marriage again, perfect relationship. We want to marry things up. Because that's more sustainable. When we have more interconnected systems in our property, it's more sustainable.
1: All right, Farmer Greg, I'll let you take it from here, where not only more on rain harvesting, but just backing up real quick to our May's urban farm hour, we were talking about mesquite harvesting. That still hasn't happened yet.
0: Right. Yeah. So every end of June or beginning of July, through the urban farm, we do a educational series of educational events on how to harvest mesquite beans. And then Don and I, oh my gosh, five or six years ago, got a wild hair and did a community fundraiser and raised about $10,000 to buy a community hammer mill. And so you can go to urbanfarmevents.com and find out about our milling, but we do that every year. And then every July, Don and I also do our Water Harvesting Summit. This is an online three-day event with speakers and like that. And you can go to urbanfarmwater.com and we've got a series of videos and that kind of stuff on water harvesting that you can download for free there. When you do that, you'll get information for our Water Harvesting Summit that's coming up the, I think it's the 13th, 14th and 15th of July.
1: And is that a virtual summit? Is that an in-person it is. summit? Okay. Yeah, yeah v- virtual.
2: A virtual summit. And, yeah, But uh, we're, we're going to be virtually there. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then along with that, Don and I put together a few years ago a water harvesting course that we make available at the summit as well.
1: Very good. So you can do that at Urban Farm Water? Was that the URL?
0: Yep, urbanfarmwater.com is where you can find out more about Water harvesting, and then our urban farm events page is urbanfarmevents.com.
1: This is the eight o'clock hour, the outdoor living hour. It's the fourth Saturday of the month, so it's urban farming, and our talking point hashtag was plan your water. We've done that with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm and Don Titmus of the Be Oasis, and all the great resources he all brought with us from Brad Lancaster, Art Ludlow, who, Dave? Uh, uh, Bainbridge. Bainbridge. Bainbridge.
2: Yeah, from San Diego. So-
1: Hadn't heard of that one yet, but I do love this book, though. Oh, it's a great book. Greg from the Urban Farm, Don Titmus of the B Oasis. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's
2: episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams.